The book of Revelation is probably the most exciting and at the same time the most misunderstood book in all the scriptures. The Come Follow Me study for 2023 is all about the New Testament and the book of Revelation is the crowning book of the New Testament. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who has studied the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. In this podcast, we review the temple initiatory ordinances as revealed in the book of Revelation. Breck, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation sound a lot like the initiatory ordinances. Can you discuss more of that? Yes, if we're to become gods and goddesses in a royal priesthood, we must be cleansed and clothed with protection for the journey and given a new identity in Christ. The Savior provides these blessings through initiatory ordinances in the Holy Temple. In chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, as you've said, he explains these ordinances and the token associated with each one. Remember, you never have a covenant without a token. token. Right, right. And um, these tokens apply to the consecration of priests, including washing, anointing, clothing, and priestly garments, and a new name. And I might also say it applies to the consecration of priestesses as well, who go through the same ordinances. Right, right. Right? Okay. Now, in ancient Israel, only the descendants of Levi received these ordinances. Right? Right. In in, a, uh, in an apocalyptic document called The Testament of Levi, Levi sees, quote, seven men in white clothing who are saying unto me, Arise, put on the vestments of the priesthood, the crown of righteousness, the oracle of understanding, which we understand to be the Urim and Thummim, mm-hmm. and the robe of truth, the breastplate of faith, the mitre for the head, that's a cap, and the apron for prophetic power, mm. close quote. These are the same ordinances that John speaks of in Revelation 2 and 3. Let's look at each one, okay? Okay. To the initiatory ordinances. Right. First, the washing. Okay. To initiate them into the priesthood, Aaron and his sons were, quote, washed with water, unquote, to purify them. That's in Exodus 40. One of the, quote, men in white in Levi's vision washed him with pure water. Why did they do this washing? Was it it different from baptism? The washing was not the same as baptism. Okay. Uh, Jewish apocryphists speak of the washing. Um, Their term for it was rachatz. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the washing was the, quote, means of initiation into the mysteries. Okay. Okay. Sort of like an entry point. It's, yes. Yeah. Where baptism cleanses us from personal sin, right? Mm-hmm. The priests, the washing of priests, purges from them the blood and sins of those they minister to. Okay. Okay. Of course, failure to minister cancels the washing, right? right so right, you've right. got to fulfill your duty. Mm-hmm. But, um, and remember what the Doctrine and Covenants says to the priesthood. It says, cleanse your hearts and your garments, lest the blood of this generation be required at your hands. Wow. 
So do your part. Yeah, that's in DNC 112. Now, that's what the washing is for. Mm -hmm. Of course, the water represents the blood of Christ. Um, John says uh, that the priest's ministry is to bring repentant souls unto, quote, him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there's the washing. Got it. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 5. The tradition was for kings in the Middle East to be washed, ritually washed, before their coronations. Um, Egyptian murals show the gods pouring life-giving water over Pharaoh. The Assyrian king was washed every morning before sunrise and then clothed in royal garments and re-crowned. These rituals, quote, free the king from any physical or psychological ailment. So the washing of the royal person, okay? Very common tradition in the Middle East. Under the law of Moses, both men and women were washed to remove ritual uncleanness, right? Um, If you look in Leviticus chapter 15, you'll read all of that. Mm -hmm. In keeping with the promise of Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool, Um, as white as snow, red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know that uh, Mm -hmm. from Isaiah chapter 1. Now, interesting, the Hebrew word for red is Adam. (laughs) That's fascinating. Okay. Right. So Isaiah is saying, even if your sins are as red as Adam, okay, they'll be as white as snow. Isaiah's promise, therefore, recalls Adam's transgression, right? And our proxy status as Adams in the temple. Mm. Even though you're an Adam, all the, your, your sins as Adam sinned will all be washed. Right, okay. right. So... Um, brides were also washed to ensure an unblemished state as they entered into marriage. Mm-hmm. Before the wedding, the bride entered a tevila, which in Hebrew meant a, a bath, okay, a ritual bath in holy water, uh, and she was accompanied by attendants. Um, the Jews still do this, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, Orthodox Jews still perform this ordinance. Um, for both men and women, mm-hmm. before the wedding, they're washed, ritually washed. The second initiatory ordinance is anointing. After being washed, kings and priests are anointed with holy olive oil, mm-hmm. as were Aaron and his sons in Exodus. The most ancient sources say that this anointing ordinance was practiced by the first apostles as well. A 4th century bishop of Caesarea called Basil, he called the anointing one of the, quote, secret teachings, Um, quote, an unwritten mystery, unquote, okay? This was private, confidential washing, not not open public baptism. It was private, confidential washing. Individual. Yes, Mm -hmm. and and he said this ordinance had been passed down from the apostles. Mm. So we know that the apostles practiced it, but it was, it was quote a secret teaching, okay, mm-hmm. an unwritten mystery, an unwritten ordinance. So we know this was done in the early Christian church. 
So, so what is the purpose of the anointing ceremony? The apocryphal gospel of Philip says this, quote, the father anointed the son and the son anointed the apostles and the apostles anointed us. He who has been anointed possesses everything. Wow, that's cool. He possesses the resurrection, the light, the cross, the Holy Spirit, unquote. Mm. What the anointing does is it brings us into the family of God. Uh, Margaret Barker says that in the ancient temple, the king was anointed to become the firstborn son, okay? Um, standing proxy for the Lord as the eldest brother and ruler of Israel. Okay. Samuel anointed Saul and David, kings of Israel, and Zadok the priest anointed Solomon. So it was the anointing is associated with becoming a king and a, right. and a right. queen. Okay. Right. Brides also received the anointing. According to an Old Testament scholar named Daniel Fleming, quote, women were anointed upon betrothal to provide them soothing comfort, beautiful luster, and simple pleasure in preparation for marriage, close quote. So both men and women were anointed as preparation for marriage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the father of all priests, who was Levi, mm -hmm. father of the Levitical priesthood, was, quote, anointed with holy oil by an angel. And likewise, in the book of Second Enoch, Michael, the archangel, who we know as Adam, mm -hmm. anoints Enoch in the heavenly temple with a, quote, delightful oil. The appearance of that oil, he says, is greater than the greatest light. It is like the rays of the glittering sun. Uh, the oil was also an astral symbol. Remember, an astronomical symbol. Mm -hmm. um, the oil represents the warm, healing influence of the sun, uh, which represents, in turn, the Son of God. So if we are spiritually ailing, he is the saving strength of his anointed. So the Psalms say, he is the saving strength of his anointed. The priests would anoint various parts of the body, such as the ears and the eyes. Um, in his lectures to new church members, uh, the Bishop Cyril of Jerusalem anciently said, quote, You are anointed on your ears, that you might be quick to hear the divine mysteries. And according to a 6th century formula, uh, Christian priests administered the rite this way, quote, I sign your forehead in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that you may be a Christian. Your eyes, that you may see God with clarity. Your ears, that you may hear the voice of the Lord. Your nostrils, that you may breathe the sweetness of Christ. Your lips, that you may speak the words of life. Your heart, that you may believe in the inseparable Godhead. Your shoulders, that you may bear the yoke of service to Christ. I sign your entire body in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you may have eternal life and live from age to age. Close quote. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. That is not from Latter-day Saint source, but from an ancient source from the 500s AD. 
That okay. sounds very familiar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this was done in the ancient church and done specifically as a preparation for marriage. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so why does the priest anoint every body part? A divine promise of power to overcome our weaknesses accompanies the anointing of each body part. Okay? So, he, for example, he removes the burden of sin from off the neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing, says Isaiah in chapter 10. Uh, for example, the Savior instructs the church in Laodicea to anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Why? Because the members there have become blind to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And they need the anointing to be healed. That's in the third chapter of Revelation. The, by the way, the anointing was particularly appropriate for that city, Laodicea. Um, because they marketed extensively an ointment mm. that was made locally. Um, in Laodicea, they, they made this ointment and it was sold all over the empire. Oh, wow. So it was a little bit of, it was appropriate, right? right, right. You people in Laodicea, you need to be anointed yourselves. Right, okay? right. You're anointing everybody else. You need, to, you need to be anointed yourselves. Well, the Savior's command to anoint the eyes clarifies the purpose of the ordinance, right? Mm-hmm. The oil, in all cases, is a healing balm for our deficiencies. Okay. It heals our deficiencies. And the anointing also helps us to minister to other people. The Messiah is himself, quote, the anointed one. Okay, that's what Mm -hmm. Mashiach or Messiah meant in Hebrew, the one who is anointed. Um, He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Mm -hmm. So he was anointed to minister, right? to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. This is, this is Luke chapter 4. Okay, This is what Jesus was anointed to do. We are anointed to imitate him in his healing ministry. Anointed as he was, we answer his call to be, quote, saviors on Mount Zion, as he is. Um, the Gospel of Philip says something really interesting. It says, when one receives the anointing, this person is no longer a Christian, but a Christ. Oh, wow. Why? Because we too. Because Christ comes from the Greek word chrismos, which meant to be anointed. So we become anointed. When we become anointed, we become a Christ. Wow. Okay. That is a savior to other people. Right, right. That is profound. Each person who is anointed becomes a Christ. Exactly. Hmm. Now think think about what that might mean. Okay. Now, now I, I got to tell you, like people outside of our faith are going to say that sounds sacrilegious, very sacrilegious, right? That we become a Christ. How do we how do we square with that? Well, for one thing, that was said by someone who was not of our religion. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that was an ancient uh, Christian named named Philip who okay. wrote the Gospel of Philip. We don't know much about him. We know nothing about him actually, but we do know that he was a Christian writer. Right. And so when he said, 
uh, when you when you're anointed, you become a Christ. That's an ancient Christian teaching. Wow, wow. Okay. Uh, so if they think it's sacrilegious, they have to go back and say, um, "Oh well." Uh, they have to go back and explain why early Christians would have said it. Right, okay. right, right. Um, so I think it is, however, a profound and meaningful um, idea. Yeah, based on some of our previous podcasts and what we've already talked about, it yeah. lines up perfectly yeah. with the doctrine. Yeah. yeah, we are we are not Christ with a capital C. No, we are Christ with a small C. That is, we are anointed as He was. Right. Okay, to, we share His power to to minister to others. Right. Right. Okay, as He did. Now, after the washing and anointing comes what the clothing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Aaron and his sons were clothed in white garments after they were washed and anointed. Among the ancients, it was a common idea that celestial beings wore brilliant white clothing, um, glorious garments, and uh, our apocalyptic writings are full of visits by heavenly beings that wear brilliant white clothing. Um, Priests and kings in white garments represent God then, right? Right. Quote uh, from the Psalms 104, God, thou who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, the, the garment is also an astral symbol, mm-hmm. an astronomical symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, the garment is associated with the light of the sun and the stars. Uh, in, in the third book of Enoch, he says, the Holy One fashioned for me, Enoch, a majestic robe in which all kinds of luminaries were set, and he clothed me in it. He fashioned for me a glorious cloak in which brightness, brilliance, splendor, and luster of every kind were fixed, and he wrapped me in it. Wow. So he received the robe. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the brilliant white garment represented the righteousness of the saints, according to uh, Revelation chapter 19. And um, these brilliant white garments were required to enter the presence of the Lord. To access the highest heaven, mm-hmm. Enoch has to be clothed in white by virtue of Christ's atonement. Uh, the garment is a token of the covenant with God, who, quote, girds men with garments of life, and in times to come, he will wrap the righteous and the pious of the world in robes of life. Um, In ancient Hebrew, in the ancient world, um, one of the names of God is, quote, he who girds men with the garments of life. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now, in... In the legends of the Jews, uh, God made garments of light. He made garments out of light for Adam and Eve. Um, They were like a torch shedding radiance. They were fine linen garments, as smooth as a fingernail, as beautiful as a jewel. Garments of skin, uh, meaning those that are nearest to the skin. That's a close quote there. Adam passed this garment as a token of his royal priesthood to Seth, then to Noah, to Abraham, and to Esau, who forfeited Uh the priesthood, right? Right. 
Uh, Esau's mother, Rebecca, clothed his brother, Jacob, right. in the vestments of Esau, which had formerly been Adam's. And Jacob assumed the role of priest and king to his family. That's why he's the God of Jacob. Um, and Jacob is Israel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Moses dressed each temple priest in a white linen tunic called a ketonet in Exodus, uh, which is the same word in Hebrew that is used for Adam and Eve's coats of skin. Wow. Okay. okay. So the, the coat of skin that was given to Adam was a garment of priesthood. Okay. And he passed it down through the generations to um, all the way down to the, through the patriarchs, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. Those who receive the garment are protected from Satan. In, in the lore of the Gnostics, um, the early, early Christian Gnostics, quote, the demonic powers cannot see those who are clothed in the perfect light and consequently are not able to detain them. <laughs> okay, it makes us invisible to the devils. That's in, good. In, in Gnostic lore. I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's an old teaching. Uh, God bestows the garment as a shield because, according to the Psalms, a shield because he has set his love upon us. It's a beautiful thought. Now, here's something very, very crucial. To receive the holy garment is to be endowed. The English word endow relates back to the Greek word endusis. The Greek word endusis meant a putting on. Okay? Um, to receive the endusis was to put on Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. And to discard worldliness. Um, Paul says in Romans 13, 14, he says, Put ye on endusis they. That's the Greek word here. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. So the word that Paul uses when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's actually using the word enduciste, okay? Mm -hmm. Which means robe yourself. Mm -hmm. So we hear echoes of the clothing ritual and all through the New Testament. Um, quote, this is from Galatians 3.27, quote, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Induces they, Christ, okay? So induces all the way through. And induces in English today, endow, mm -hmm. all right? So the endowment, the word endowment literally means. The, the word endowment literally means to be robed and clo or clothed. Exactly. Right. Okay. The ordinance of induces, endowment, confers on a person the royal priesthood of Jesus Christ. The token of that priesthood is the robe of the priesthood. At his transfiguration, remember that Jesus' face shined as the sun, right? And his raiment was white as the light. Um, the sign or token of a co-inheritor of Christ is the brilliant white garment. Okay? Oh, wow. wow. All right? Okay. A co-inheritor. Now, tragically... John tells us that most of the saints in Sardis, this is in 
chapter 3 of Revelation. He says that most of the saints in Sardis are, quote, defiling their garments, unquote. It's all for show. These Hmm. people are only outwardly Christians. Hmm. The church there is, quote, ready to die, chapter Hmm. 3, verses 1 and 2. But still, some of them have held tight to their covenants. Quote, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Okay, Mm -hmm. so there you have the robing. Along with washing, anointing, and clothing, the initiate also receives a new name. Um, Quote, Revelation 2, 17. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. So why does each person receive a new name? A new name signals a new identity, right? Oh, okay. Or status. If I give you a new name, I may call you Sam the bone breaker, right? Mm-hmm. That means that you are, if I call you bone breaker, that means you can, you're powerful and strong enough to break bones and, and you are, okay? okay. You're, you're, yeah. you're a big, strong okay. guy. Yeah, I'm a big dude. And, yeah. uh, okay. Uh, so a new name means a new identity. Mm-hmm. For example, Abram, in the Old Testament, his new name was Abraham, right. which, which signified exalted father. Wow. And why did he get that new name? Because uh, the DNC tells us that he hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. So he is an exalted father. Um, The new name was a token, okay, of God's covenant with Abraham to make him a, a father of many nations. And God makes the same promise to every saint. Thou shalt be called by a new name. This is in Isaiah 62. Thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Mm. Okay. And that new name is the token of the covenant. Right, right, right. So that makes a lot of sense. Having gone through the temple for, you know, every year for many years. What, what about the white stone? What does that signify? Well, Joseph Smith said that the quote, quote, the white stone becomes a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of kingdoms will be made known, unquote. Doctrine and Covenants 130. The high priest of Israel carried the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate, the breastpiece of truth, it was called. Joseph Smith possessed Urim and Thummim that might be associated with the... Uh, 16 small stones that were white and clear that the Savior touched in the book of Ether. Interestingly, the Greek word that is used by John, the word leukos, is translated in our King James Version as white, but it can also mean bright or brilliant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Lord uses such instruments to provide um, apocalyptic knowledge. That is, uh, they're instruments for opening the veil. Right. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Remember that apocalyptic means opening Open the, the veil. veil. Right. Okay. 
Draw back the curtains, right? Right. The instrument provides veil-opening knowledge to his servants. Um, in, in, in the book of Ether, uh, the, the Savior, quote, showed unto the brother of Jared all the inhabitants of the earth which had been, and also all that would be, and he withheld them not from his sight, even unto the ends of the earth, quote. So the stones became a means of seeing Mm. Um, beyond the veil, seeing the plan of God. Mm -hmm. And Abraham studied the heavens through that kind of a medium. Quote, he says, I, Abraham, have the Urim and Thummim, and I saw the stars, that they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God. Close quote. That's from Abraham 3. The new name on the white stone, quote, is the key word, Joseph Smith said, the new name is the key word that enables us to enter holy places and see through the veil the plans and purposes of God. That's in the Doctrine and Covenants 130. Okay. Uh, uh, so, so the initiatory ordinances are washing, anointing, clothing, and receiving a new name. What's the point of all these ceremonies? Yes, yes. what is the point? Well, the point is to make us ready for the sealing ordinance. It's all preparation for the oh, sealing order. Okay. 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 Um, one LDS scholar I like, Stephen Ricks, says that in ancient Jewish ritual, quote, washing, anointing, and clothing are preparation for marriage. Okay. Unquote. The Lord says in Ezekiel chapter 16, the Lord says to the bride, says, quote, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil, and I girded thee about with fine linen and covered thee with silk. So this is all preparation for a marriage, mm-hmm. okay, for, a, for, for the bride and bridegroom. Bride <clears throat> and bridegroom. Now the bridegroom also experiences this inducis ritual. Uh, this is from Isaiah chapter 61. Quote, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, close quote. So as symbols of the, of the robes of Adam and Eve, the garments of salvation symbolize the promise of eternal marriage and eternal lives. Okay? Okay. You with me? Yep. There's a very interesting ancient source, an apocalyptic book called the Book of Joseph and Asenath. Um, in this book, it sort of expands on the story of Joseph, the uh, patriarch, right? Son of Jacob, the one who was uh, kidnapped and sold into Egypt. Right, right. The one with the technicolor dream coat, yes. you know what I mean? Coat okay. of many colors, yeah. Well, Joseph got married while he was in Egypt. And the woman he married was an Egyptian princess named Asenath. Oh. In the story of Joseph and Asenath, He takes the Egyptian princess to be his wife. And before the wedding, she is washed, quote, with living water, anointed with blessed oil of incorruptibility, dressed in a new linen robe, and given a new name. Okay. Okay. Your, quote, your name shall no longer be called a zenith, but your name shall be called city of refuge. Because in you, many nations will take refuge with the Lord God 
the Most High. Unquote. So her faithful posterity will bless the whole world. So her new name is very significant to her, right? Right. Okay. An angel tells, tells her, quote, you will be a bride for Joseph forever and ever. Oh, wow. That's cool. Now, the Lord makes the same promises to, quote, as it says in Revelation, to him that overcometh. In Greek, that's to Nikon, the victor, the victorious saints in the seven um, branches of the church in Asia. Okay, so the promises are made, the covenants are made with those saints who overcome, right? So what is it that they are overcoming? Right. Well, the great test of mortality, right? Right. Right. right? The, tri that, the tribulation. Yes, yes. It's the second act play. That, that constant, yes, yes. The second act of the play, that right. constant tribulation of life uh, where evil wars against us, right? Um, the redeemed people are those who come out of that tribulation and because of it, because they overcame it. Okay, you have to go through this tribulation in order to succeed to eternal life. It's necessary. In Revelation, the Lord makes towering promises to encourage us on our journey. The ultimate promise to him that overcometh, he says, this is uh, chapter 3, verse 14. To him that overcometh, I will give the morning star in other words, Christ himself. He makes a gift of himself to us. That's it. our friend, our brother, our savior. And he is, according to verse 14, the faithful and true witness to the agreement. Wow. Now, as a sort of overview of our mortal journey the Lord makes a clockwise tour of the seven branches. He circles through the eternal round of the planet salvation, promising blessings to each branch in order. The promises that go with each covenant are not given at random. They follow an approach. They're, 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 there's a sequence, a coherence to these promises. So in our next podcast, we will look at the promises the Lord makes to the saints in the initiatory ordinances. I can't wait. That sounds exciting. Thanks for your time today. Thank you.